Last time I had Dr. George Morano on the podcast, it was a big success. I had a lot of people reach out to me and say that they really enjoyed the content. We, we really touched on a few things around corporate strategy uh, and strategic management for aspirational professionals and entrepreneurs. And today I've got the pleasure of welcome him, welcoming him back. George, welcome. Great to see you again. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me on again. It was a couple of months ago where we spoke. And we spoke about a few strategic, a few strategic initiatives, uh, a few strategic topics. We, we touched on the importance of strategy. Yeah. How, how has that evolved for you since our last conversation? And for those that didn't listen to it, what were some of the common themes that stood out for you from what we last spoke about? Because today I want to introduce another layer. Yeah. So I mean, it was a really good. Um, it was a really good talk last time, and it's and it's really good because we get to bounce things off each other. I mean, even though you're the interviewer, but I mean, you have you also have a, a vast experience in and in and around strategy and strategic management. Uh, the feedback was really good, um, but you know we have to understand that so strategic management is this really big monolith that has a lot of moving parts, and um, and so while it was uh, very generic and very top heavy. Yeah, I mean, what we want to do, and, and you know, and with yourself, of course, is is that you know, kind of break in those little pieces, right? and understand all those moving parts individually, and then so that we can, so that so that you know, the audience can see how those, what those individual parts look like, and how they actually come together. Okay, so that's the refresher. If you missed that one, go back and watch it. Watch it after this one, but that gives you a really nice introduction. I, I. Uh, over the past few weeks have been reading, again, a book that I, I really enjoyed and I really loved and it was recommended to me. It's called Beyond the Hockey Stick, uh, Strategy Beyond the Hockey Stick. It's written by Mackenzie. It's a little bit full on, right? It's a little bit academic, but I really like it, uh, particularly for my own business and the way I think. And one of the things that came out from it, George, is it was a continuation of our conversation where we touched on strategy. But one of the things I liked is the heading beyond the hockey stick. So in a lot of projections, everybody thinks that their business is going to go flat and then take off at some point. So that's what the hockey stick analogy actually is. But in it, I highlighted and I underlined a key finding that McKinsey found that the industry that you are in, where you play dictates your success more than many other factors. And today I want to explore that with you. The arena which we play in, how important is that? Um, it's absolutely vital. I mean, you know, organisations are in what we call an open system where there's a, a feedback and a relationship between us as an organisation and our markets. And we're in this constant, we're in this constant um, approach of, you know, <clears throat> trying to satisfy that market and that market can't, and that market is always changing, you know, consumer preferences, consumer tastes, um, you know, aspects in the macro environment, you know, are always changing and trickling down. So there's this constant, there's this constant struggle of, 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 of matching our resources and capabilities in the organization to what is actually the, what the actual market wants. And, and that is actually that is really the biggest challenge that any organization faces that that interplay between us and the outside world so um, it's and 
and something that you know academics and practitioners have been struggling with since day dot. So, one, one of the things that really strikes me my, myself first and then other aspirational professionals, entrepreneurs, CEOs of growing businesses is we fall into industries for weird reasons, right? You yeah. may have university studied something you worked in corporate and then you kind of that was the natural progression you haven't time like a professional investor uh to stand back and say which arena do i want to play in you kind of kind of fall in whether it's the restaurant industry it's real estate construction it's kind of what you know where your family led you into and then you play there but what i want to explore with you today is do you need to stay there and one of the key key messages from this book, again, I highlighted it like crazy, like a madman, is you either need to change industries or change your industry if yeah. you find yourself in an arena that is not going up but is treading water or going back. Yeah, well, that's really interesting. I mean, you know, we you know, humans by nature seek the path of least resistance. You know, I mean, we look at what we're good at, what we know, and then we tend to kind of gravitate towards that. From an investor's perspective um, is one thing, but from an entrepreneurial perspective, it's a totally different thing. So if we let's kind of separate the two. From an entrepreneurial perspective, we have likes, talents, skill sets, aspirations, goals, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. And we and we bring those together and we move into, into a particular industry or into something that we feel that we'd be good at yep we can add value to right so and then that's where you kind of set up your business as yourself with in the property space uh, and so on and so forth right but from an investor's perspective they're really just looking at what can i where can i invest my money where can i get the most yield where can it be done with the least amount of risk and then um and then also what you know and which one do i feel comfortable with in getting to know so there's 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 two particular there's two particular kind of you know separate separate areas there and and each one requires a different and a unique skill set. Yeah, I think the opportunity is for entrepreneurs and leaders to kind yeah. of stand back every so often and to say, okay, I'm in the construction industry, for example. Yeah. I came into it because my family has been building homes in Lebanon for the past three hundred years. Yes civil engineering, I've got a pretty good business, but guess what? The economics of my industry are going backwards. The supply chain pressures, the cost of capital is going up. And there's an opportunity as an entrepreneur to stand back and say, I am more than just a builder or an I'm a business person. And I'm also an investor because I'm, as you said, as you distinguish between those two baskets, I want to treat myself and my effort as an investment. And so what are the industries? The challenge, George, is that many say, okay, well, I know AI is taking off, but I'm not a software engineer. I know all these parts of the economy are booming and my industry is going backwards. What are some frameworks from your studies, your discipline, your specialty that I, in that scenario, can use to continue to refine myself as a, as a business person? Yeah, that's a really good question, Peter. And one of the things we need to um, uh, understand is, you know, three things. What is What are we competent at? What are we distinctly competent in? 
And then what is our core competency? What is that thing that we do that, that stands out amongst everybody else? And then we have to ask ourselves, how do we transfer those competencies inside our industry or across, across our industry's sort of supply chain? Or how do we transfer this to other industries as well? Hmm. I mean, so it's, and this is, I mean, this was varies across all particular industries. Um, if you're somebody who's a builder, for instance, um, one of the key, one of the key transitions would be into actually developing your own projects. So you're moving up the value chain. Right? And then, yeah, so there you're kind of taking on, you know, your, your, you're you're starting to in what we call internalize the supply chain right? and move up right? and seek and and you know and increase that your risk profile but also your earnings capacity as well yeah um you know a really good example uh from a corporate perspective um is honda you know honda the motor company um they specialize in engines and what they were able to do is build not only car engines but car engines they built engines for Formula One. They built engines for uh, motorbikes, but also outdoor um, outboard motors for boats, mm. water pumps, so on and so forth. So they had this core piece of core piece of competency that they were able to, as you can see, move across industries. But however, where there was a where there was a particular need for their specialty, what we need to do, you know, from an organisational perspective, is look at what is our what are those core competencies that we have and where can they fit not only inside of our industry and its and its supply chain, but also outside of that as well, right? Yeah. I, I love Japanese examples. Uh, I love Japanese businesses. And, you know, we're somewhat in the Western culture blind to many successful Japanese business principles. We glorify the Western way of doing business, the sales culture and everything else. We can touch on that later. That's another podcast. <laughs> So I want to go back and stay on, on point. Uh, as an entrepreneur, if I want to go through that journey, uh, I want to talk about, you know, tools that I can use, for example, like a trend analysis. How can I start to implement sensible ways so I'm not stuck in my head like a hamster thinking about different ideas, but how can I sensibly analyze trends or industries so I know where to play? Yeah, so I mean, trend analysis is really important because it kind of gives us a snapshot into the trajectory of a particular industry and what where it might go into the future. So you know, one of the first things is from an entrepreneurial perspective is just a bit of investigation. You know, there's a there's a um, there's a very famous um, leadership strategy. It's called wearing out shoe leather. Mm. Right? And it's that really simple approach to just getting out there and having a look at, you know, what is going on in a particular market and then trying to trying to conceptualise where can I play in this space? Where are, what, what might be the gaps and where can I fill that gap? You know, what will be, you know, that, that, um, that atypical uh, value, you know, where is my unique value proposition in and around this space? And then kind of moving into that. But we also want to be mindful that we don't want to leave whatever we have behind, mm. right? And then just, you know, throw ourselves into a new market unless we have some form of mechanisms to take care of that. Or if you, I mean, if you wound up your business and you're, and you're looking for a new venture or so on and so forth, but, you know, you want to 
you want to look at what do I have? What what skills can I? What skills do I acquire? What resources and capabilities are out there that I can get? And where and which market can they best serve? So, so is a trend analysis for someone that doesn't want to get academic. Is a trend analysis just going out and looking at different, you know, business industries and how do I assess them? So I look at AI, for example, and I think, okay, this is going to take over the world, but how do I play there? How do I decide whether I need to step into that or stay away from it and maybe change my industry rather than changing industries? Well, you know, industries, are, you know, industries, are many industries don't change. They really stay the same. Uh, but what happens is that the way the industry makeup industry makeup changes, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, the human centric, non value, repetitious work is being taken over by AI and software development and so on and so forth. Right? So we need to be really, really mindful of that. But however, the I think as from an individual's perspective, and if you were to ask me, how would I approach this? Well, I'd kind of say. What does the future look like in 10, 15 years' time? What are those industries right, that that are going to not only survive but also thrive? Right? And there's something that I heard that's really, really that was that really struck that really struck a chord with me. Everybody's talking about what's going to change, yep. but however, nobody talks about what is just going to stay the same. Yeah. So there are many, many industries that aren't going to be affected by the digital revolution or AI, or they remain the same. They just become more efficient, more mechanized, and more attuned to the AI, AI revolution. However, you know, when you're looking at these, when you're looking at picking those particular industries, you have to choose a sort of complementarity between, you know, are you going to, do you see yourself fitting into these, into a particular industry and adding value to it? Yeah. And then what do I bring with me as well? Yeah, look, that's really important because as entrepreneurs and leaders, many of us suffer from um, attention issues. You know, we yeah. reason why we're in business is because we're inquisitive. We can't sit still. We're Absolutely. all, but that's often where we get burnt. You know, that's, that's where we blow up. That's where we make mistakes. And so how do you balance that inquisitive nature to continue to innovate, evolve, use all this information that you're talking about, but not get distracted where you lose focus of the prize and, and the good thing that you're already set on? Look, that's, that's a really interesting thing. And that's one of the, that's one of the issues that I find with, with a lot of entrepreneurs is that, you know, there's that natural, natural tendency for, or inquiry right? and seeking a kind of a form of rush right you've set up you know there's and i think i mentioned this last time there's a there's a threshold between entrepreneur and leader now, once you kind of once you get your business to a certain level you no longer become an entrepreneur anymore you 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 take on a leadership role because you're there for the growth unless you kind of outsource that and you you move on to another venture but focus is really the really the key here i mean you know, once you start allocating resources and time and so forth to a particular venture, it is very, you know, you you're it's a it's it's an egg you can't unscramble. So you, you you have to do a lot of a lot of research and a lot of analysis prior and make sure that you know whatever you're going into, know that that it requires your time, your attention, and your focus as well. 
I mean, all the skills, all the all the all the money and skills and so forth can be can be easily undone by somebody who lacks a degree of focus. I want to ask you a question on on how at what point can you shift focus and, yeah. and in business. Yeah. Um, for those that are listening or those that are watching, there's a great book on this. I'm just reminded on it. It's called Who Moved My Cheese by Spencer. I bought it for my daughter when she started high school um, and I use it all the time. I try to read it once a year. It's about knowing when to change, right? Yeah. At some point you have to change. You can't yeah. to cook that omelet that you're talking about if your fire is no good or if yeah. the environment around you changes. I want to ask you, how do you implement that through the discipline that you do and the work that you do managing that, knowing when to change, how to change, and when not to change? Yeah. Look, that's a really important question and, and one that is very that is very unique to each and every organisation. However, <clears throat> change should start to come about when you can see the writing on the wall, but you're still making... You, the, sorry, uh, let me take a step back. The The most dangerous period in any organisation is when you can see the writing on the wall, that is those those changes out in the horizon, yep. but yet your, your your current business model is making so much money that it, you, you just, you, 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 you don't want to let this baby go. And this is what happened to the likes of companies such as Nokia and Ericsson and so forth in the hands in the hand uh, telephone market. They were just doing so well and they dropped the ball when it came to the um, the smartphones. And a lot of organisations fall into that trap. And, you know, BlackBerry was also in that as well. So what happens is is that you, know, you can see the, 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 the currents of change, but you need to have, you need to have the courage and the will to, to move your organization in order to in order to start to capture that. And in that period, you know, one, you know, consider this like a ship changing course. It requires, it requires a certain degree of courage, a certain degree of direction. And they could also be, I mean, from an organizational perspective, a drop in revenue, a drop in profit, and so on and so forth. But that is that is that is the requirement you know, that organisations must face. And you have to also be able to have this, the, the, the capability to actually see that writing on the wall and be able to internalise that, as, you know, in addition. I think for a lot of leaders, it's lonely at the top. Um, you know, it's like a pyramid. They call it the pyramid where yeah. the further up you rise, the, the less people are around you that get it. And okay. I Ambitious people, what I've learned is ambitious people need to be around other ambitious people to thrive. It's yeah. very hard to become, you know, that, that change maker that you talk about when you don't have people around you kind of giving you that insight. You want smarter people around you saying, uh, hey, George, hey, Peter, this is what I'm working on. And that light bulb goes off. In your work and in, in your academic studies, has any research looked at the power of community for business leaders, entrepreneurs, and how to surround yourself with people that are going to help reveal those things to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not only I, I have these kinds of conversations quite regularly with, with both clients and, and my and my wider network. And 
those periods of change are very, very common across all organisations and across all industries. And people have gone, you know, we're always, you know, our organisations are always changing. We move from a micro business to a small business to a medium-sized business. And within those, there's all these little fluctuations, you know, just like micro tides that we're always changing. And, you know, I, you know, I strongly recommend people to um, find old mentors, people who've been in the corporate environment or people who've been in the business environment for quite some time and are in that sort of semi-retired or semi-retired stage, they will give you great insight and great visibility. You know, you know, Mark Twain said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes. And it's the case here in organisations as well, especially with regards to market changes. We, we have, um, you know, in, a, in, a, in one generation, moved from a fax machine to a smartphone. Right? So, you know, we're living proof of what, what you know, disruptive change looks like. And so, but, you know, the fundamentals still remain the same how did we identify those how did we internalize it and what were the what were the some of the things that we had to reconfigure within our organizations to take advantage you know what worked what didn't work what would you do again so on and so forth you know we need to be mindful peter that whenever we're looking at organizations and changing you know we are changing markets we're changing industries we're looking for value somewhere else but we also need to take people with us as well and it's changing those people and it's selling that story um, and convincing them that, you know, this is the path forward. So there's there's a lot there. But um, talking, uh, engaging with people, you know, you'll find that many, many people, if not, have gone through it and are going through it or are looking to go through it. And so you know, uh, this is a very, very common theme. It's, it's a nice segue into what I want to talk about next. Uh, so I can't talk to you and do a podcast with you without mentioning our Assyrian heritage <laughs> yeah, yeah. that you have on your desk. But before we get into our own community, we're both part of the Assyrian community and how we can create that environment that you're talking about. Generally, how do you find a tribe that as an entrepreneur you can be a part of so that you can then open up your mind and contribute also, not just go and take, but go and contribute to that industry change, business change. How do you find these groups? Because for a lot of guys listening or, or ladies, they're probably saying, yeah, but I don't want to go and be part of those cringy networking groups. Or that's, yeah, yeah. I know my business. I know what I'm doing. I can't be that. How yeah. do you? About and build do you, do you build that do you find that is it podcasts is it books is it what is it i think it's there's a it's a multi-pronged strategy there are first of all you i mean you really need to start reading uh, you know if you're not reading you're not really learning and you're not and and get involved in that you know there are also videos podcasts and so forth you know it's astounding what you can take away from just this kind of secondary sources of information you know, and then what you start to realize that, hey, I'm, you know, because, you know, from a leadership perspective, you're right when you said it's very, very lonely at the top, right? And we kind of think that our challenges and our struggles and our experiences are unique to ourselves. But once you start reading and once you start listening and engaging with people, you kind of say, hey, this is very common, right? And not unique at all, right? But 
the found you know the first foundation is to get into that is especially around reading and you know and as i and as i always say you know the harvard business review books and so on and so forth are really good kind of introductory introductory reading texts that give you this that give you a really good grounding you know it's very simple i mean they're not long-winded um they're not long-winded books and they give you great visibility what you also probably need to do is also seek out somebody a mentor yeah you know if it's a business coach or somebody you know um you know from a mentor perspective if you've got an old university professor that you really got along with you know reconnect with them engage tell them what you're doing um you know, you know like like you know you'd have you know you do you do coaching i do coaching as well um and it is um you know you can you're you're able to share this knowledge with people you know you know, this is not a plug for us, but it's 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 more it's more just getting people to kind of say, you know, I've had I've had um, uh, graduates out of uni who have contacted me on LinkedIn and said, hey, you know, I don't know you, I know that you studied here, and I I know you taught here, and I studied here. Can we have a coffee and a bit of a chat? And you know, I'd like your advice and so on and so forth. And you will find nine times out of ten, most people will say yes. Yeah, it's it's so true, and. When I was going through my own journey of growing up uh, as a business owner, growing up as a leader, I looked at what the best do. I looked yeah. at the best, and the best leaders, the best CEOs, the best entrepreneurs are always open to new information. They're always open to being coached, to being improved. They make themselves coachable. And when yeah. you coachable, that opens you up. That takes away a lot of the stress. It brings in clarity. It helps you build the discipline that I spoke to Anta Isaac about in sports organizations. Yeah. Also helps you build that consistency then into your routine so that you can, you know, find your tribe and keep going. On our tribe, our, our, our Assyrian heritage, yeah. we have had a lot of connection points around music, entertainment, weddings, um, social activities as migrants. Business has been a little bit taboo for us. We haven't really had a culture of getting together and talking business. How important is that? Because I know that you and, and a few others are working on changing that and creating something, right? Well, it's really important. I think, I think when it comes to any kinds of interaction or any kinds of um, creating cohesion between a particular tribe or a particular community or so forth i think the the lowest barrier there is is business uh because everybody has a passion for making money right uh so and you 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 know we we have this uh, you know from a western perspective <clears throat> someone can come and knock on your door peter and say hey look i would like to collaborate with you you know, here's what my value proposition, here's how I can help you, and here's how I think you can help me. We can't, and once, and if the, and if the, and if it stacks up, I mean, we go forward, right? I mean, depending on certain kind of criteria and so forth. So we're always looking for, we're always looking for ways of doing business. We're always looking, we're always open to opportunities and forming strategic alliances as well. So when I looked at how do we bring a community together, I mean, it's first and foremost is around that business. And we look at where there are complementarity between actors in those networks. And <clears throat> it's kind of like a black box. I mean, we can, we can, um, 
we can try and manufacture it as much as we can. However, it's just easy to bring people into a room and let almost like free radicals, right? In, engage with each other, right? Um, and eventually these things, people, you know, people come together, people understand what they do. People see where they, you know, you know whether whether what you're offering and what I'm offering has some form of complementarity and some sort of value creation, and then we then we we experiment and then we move forward. I mean, you know, whether it's our community, whether it's a networking, any or any other form of networking uh, initiative. Right? I mean, it's just basically that. What we have, you know, from a community perspective, is cultural understanding. You know, a, a shared, you know, some shared vision, um, and and you know, a, and a vast network where we always know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. Right? Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I think you know, whether you're a Syrian or whatever other background, it's important to find your community. It's important to find your tribe. It might be your your fitness class at your gym. It might be you know, you and your neighbors, it might be your children's school and the parents, whatever it is, it's important to find that tribe and to surround yourself with like-minded people and contribute. And it's not just about taking. The worst people are the ones that join these, these tribes to take. It's about putting in because the more you put in, the more you'll get out. And it's, it's, it's a balancing system. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, <clears throat> we're all we're all um, what we call strategic opportunists, but also, um, you know, you also need to be uh, what's let me find the right word, moral opportunists as well, right? Yeah. So, so we, you know, we're always seeking opportunities, but we're seeking what we should be doing, and with all businesses as well, is looking for a win-win partnership where I benefit and you benefit from both of us. And one of the really important factors and and <clears throat> and something I tell my clients all the time when they're going into some form of partnership is, is that you need to be comfortable with your partner making money. Mm. Yeah? Envy is the enemy of all partnerships, right? So, so, you know, once, you know, if that is a part of you, I, I'd suggest, you know, be, a, be the sole entrepreneur. Otherwise, you know, you know, be able to be comfortable, right? Knowing that, you know, somebody else will make money too. So, Absolutely. George, before we wrap, uh, we spoke earlier about industries changing, knowing yeah. which arena to play in. Um, I'll put you on the spot. We haven't rehearsed this, but what are, what are some areas that you're excited about from a business perspective? What are some industries <laughs> changing other than the cliche AI and all of that, which... Yeah from your vantage point, which is a very interesting vantage point, do you get excited about? I'm really excited at the moment, and I will be, even still going forward, is, is data analytics, software and data analytics. So as you know, I have a consulting business, and a lot of organisations that I see, um, you know, they, they still have very human-centric, non-value, repetitive work that just screams for, you know, for software and to kind of to 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 streamline those so um so you know the, the soft and and finding software developers you know software developers are you know they're everywhere but kind of pulling them together you know, and and looking and be, being able to match what they do 
against organisational needs, I think that little section in the middle is going to be absolutely huge. Another thing also that I'm really, really kind of interested in exploring as well, you know, as an as a as an appendage to my uh, to my consulting business is the data analytics space. What we do now leaves a digital footprint, and you know, we talked about trends. <clears throat> data analytics has 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 lowered the threshold for many SMEs around doing trend analysis. Not only is data analytics able to do, you know descriptive analysis on, on 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 a lot of things but it's also able to prescribe you know um, uh, prescribe certain courses of actions and predict as well you know and <clears throat> there are platforms that Microsoft Oracle and so forth do that give people the opportunity to go out there and actually get their hands dirty on the data analytics right? um, this space for me is really really important is it's huge right and i can't stress this enough to to all smes you know if you're not if you're not analyzing your data you know you're you, you know you're behind the eight ball yeah we've got a great assyrian entrepreneur called frankie chamaki uh who's yeah. a very good friend of mine uh he actually is one of the co-founders of a business called hivery and they came yeah. coca-cola's accelerator program and they started off helping coke uh, analyze that data that you're talking about and how to optimize their shelf space. And they've grown massively in the US. And today, it's very proud to say that they're one of Australia's most exciting, I believe, growth businesses. They're backed by VC. They're doing fantastic things on exactly what you're talking about, being able to take data and using that intelligence to make profit, basically. Yeah, I mean, when you have, <clears throat> when you've got this ability to take you know, create this software and data analytics, you can superimpose it basically onto almost any industry and then create that and then create value for in you know, you know, almost almost anti-parasitic. Mm. That makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. So, so you're so this is a this is really an industry. Um this is this is these are two areas that I'm really, really excited about. But you know, when you when it comes to industries, I mean, and you are and you are somebody that's looking out there, think about also what hasn't changed. So, yeah. and where can there where can there be disruption? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I'm really excited about driverless cars. Uh, <laughs> yeah, of that. I think it doesn't make sense for a human being to be driving a car, particularly. No and how many people die on the roads and how stupid drivers there are out there and all the problems that we have. So I'm really looking forward to driverless cars coming in, becoming the norm, and then all the implications around that, your parking spots in buildings, your traffic, your congestion, the way you know a lot of our cities function. Um, yeah, I tell my kids, I'm like, by the time, hate to burst your bubble, but by the time you go for your license, they'll probably have driverless cars around. So it's... Yeah. To look forward and as entrepreneurs and leaders continue to have that excitement about the future we may not play there but i no. think mindful of that and having conversations with people like you is really important mate um thank you very much again for being My pleasure generous with your time um any final words uh, i would just say be vigilant um uh know what's going on in the market but also don't get caught up in the hype yeah 
stay focused, stay, you know, you know, move in, you know, depending on your industry, move in, move in those increments where you need to, not you want to. So. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, George. Um, I think it's important we touched on, you know, finding your tribe, finding your voice, making sure that you have that constant um, intellectual growth as an, as yeah. a business leader and using that to figure out where you want to play, how to play and whether you're going to change industries or change your industry. It's yeah. been a discussion, mate. Thanks again. Thank you very much, Peter.